Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. Today, on our Bible in Context series, we will be studying Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. We hope you enjoy. Well, hey, welcome to the Access Podcast. We are going into the Bible in Context Today, we're going to be in Colossians 1 again. Hopefully, you were able to catch the podcast from the first part of Colossians 1. We're going to be going into verses 15 through 20 today, and I got my friends Alec and Bethany to go through this passage together. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. (laughs) I'm really excited about this type of podcast because it allows us to dig deeper into Scripture, allows us to go beyond just the surface level to di- dig into the context, the, the the picture behind what's actually being written so that we can truly understand what God's uh, saying and teaching us through Colossians 1. And so kind of as we start most of, or how we're going to start all of these Bible in context, we're going to start off with kind of a cultural uh, background into what's happening in the city and what's happening in the region and in the time that the letter or the passage was written. And so Last week we talked about how in uh, this time, the church, this letter of Colossians was written to a church in Colossae, and Paul had did not start the church, and he had actually never visited this city, and so he sent this letter from prison, that's where he wrote the letter, and he sent it with Epaphras, who came to visit Paul and was kind of the leader of the church in Colossae. And kind of the two main different teachings or the different uh, false teachings, I should say, that was infiltrating and influencing the Christians in the city were a Gnosticism, which kind of viewed Christ as less than God, that viewed him as a human, or even yet viewed him as an angel. It was a hyper-spiritual focus. And then you had the other side, which was a hyper-religious focus, which focused on the law and the Torah. The Jew, the It was a heavy emphasis on the feasts and the food laws and all of the Jude, uh, all of the Jewish customs that were a part of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And so the kind of the, these are the main influences that were hurting the Christian church. And so Paul wrote a letter kind of addressing some of those issues. So the other part of the context that we want to focus on today is how the Roman Empire uh, might have influenced or how that plays into the context of Colossians. And so what we have to realize is that the Roman Empire was was dominating the world. They were setting up their empire in every city, in every region, in the known world. And you, you, you know the saying, all roads lead to Rome. And so they were, they were, they were very, for the time, they were high technology. They were, they were, they were advancing. They were considered, in a sense, like a republic or a democracy, even even though they weren't as sophisticated or as advanced as maybe we are today. But in a very much, they were they were very pioneering and dominating with a strong army, strong, violent force for anyone that would oppose them. And so, with the Roman Empire, uh, they had, even though uh, they were considered a republic democracy, in a sense, they did have an emperor, and the Roman emperor was considered a god. And so whatever the emperor said kind of went and they were uh, greatly feared and they were oftentimes the emperor was very narcissistic and kind of crazy. And as we uh, as we look at here, what we got to realize is that it was not fun to be a Christian in the first century. Paul was preaching a message that Christ was king 
and that directly opposed the Roman message, which was the emperor was king. And when a Christian would walk into a city and proclaim the gospel that Jesus is alive, that what he says goes, it wasn't a matter of, oh, there's just this group of people who are, you know, doing their own thing with their own little religion. It was a group of people who were opposing the dominant cultural teaching of its time, which is what the emperor said goes. So Paul would come and says, no, what Jesus says goes. And so there was a great tension with the Roman Empire and Christians in the time because of the the difference in values and the allegiance that Christians uh, would place towards Christ instead of towards the Roman Empire. And they viewed that as very dangerous because then you could have revolts, you could have uprisings, and that's what they viewed it at, even though as Christians— the new, the new Testament or the New Covenant Church wasn't about revolting. They were about honoring, but because of some of the, the history of, you could say, the Maccabeans and different revolts that happened in the first century and before the first century, the Roman Empire were always trying to shut down any ideology or any uh, group that, were, that was opposing the Roman uh, supremacy. And so here we are in, in Colossians 1. We're going to be reading... Uh, verses 15 through 20, and it's a poem that Paul writes right in the beginning of this letter. You'll see another poem that he writes uh, towards the end, and he uses this to really communicate the supremacy of Christ. If you remember from the last podcast, the whole uh, the whole book of Colossians is really about the supremacy of Christ and the new creation. And so that's kind of like the, the, the main theme or the framework that we, that we walk through when we're talking through Colossians 1, the supremacy of Christ and new creation. And so in, in verses 15 through 20, we read this poem, and it's all about the supremacy of Christ. But as we read this, I want, to, I want us to keep in mind the context of the Roman Empire. I want us to keep in mind the context of the Gnosticism and the legalism, the Jewish legalism, that were a part of the culture and see how Paul's not just making up things to talk about in this letter, but he's addressing real issues that the church in that city was facing. And really to see Paul's courage here as he talks and writes uh, this poem. And so let's, uh, let's read this. Hey, oh, actually, before I do, um, what's just really cool here is that if, when you're reading this passage, Paul actually pulls from Genesis 1. He pulls from Psalm 2, he pulls from Psalm 8, he pulls from Psalm 68, he pulls from Exodus 40, and he pulls from Proverbs 8. So this this poem isn't necessarily something that he made up, but in Paul's uh, training as a Pharisee or as a, as, a, as, a, as a religious person before he became a Christian, he would have studied all those scriptures, and so he knew it, and it, because of that, he pulled these things together, and there, here's this poem that it's not just something he made up. It's actually he's pulling from the Old Testament, bringing it in the New Testament, confirming that it is the word of God and how God's word applies in, in right, 5,000 years ago. It applies 2,000 years ago. It, it just it all, God's word is always relevant to the time. And so here we are, verse uh, 15 through 20. Let's read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of break it down verse by verse. So, Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So let's let's jump back um, to verse 15. And I, I'd like to have a dialogue here with Alec and Bethany and kind of work through what, Paul's emphasizing here specifically in verse 15. So, and how that relates to the context of the Roman Empire, the Gnosticism, and the Jewish legalism. So, he is the invisible or the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, as we read that, right, we we immediately, I immediately am being pulled towards the idea of the Gnosticism, which says that Christ was merely an angel and he wasn't God, he wasn't divine, he was he was a special figure, but not that special. Clearly, like when you talk about the idea that because when people think of an angel, they don't think of God, and it clearly says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So obviously. He's telling people, you know, Jesus is not just an angel. He's definitely the image of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I even think back to the other side of things with the Torah and the religious standpoint is when he says, you know, that he's the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God. I think that definitely challenges the religious standpoint of no one's ever seen God. Hmm. But I think what Paul is saying when he like when Jesus said, like, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, he's bringing it back to you know Jesus was the son of God he wasn't just an angel he wasn't just a prophet wasn't just a wise man but he was the son of God he's God in the flesh Mm -hmm. which is crazy to think about if if you grew up in Christianity like I did and like Bethany and Alec did like you get told this all the time that God you know Jesus was God in the flesh right he was God incarnate he's Emmanuel God with us but when you think about it from an outside perspective of coming into the faith, realizing that Christ came as God mm-hmm. and walked and lived among us, it's literally impossible to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's you like, know. hey, he's 100% man in 100% God. What? Yeah. And, and I see here, you know, as we pull back to verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. I think, you know, I, I'm seeing Genesis 1 in there, right? Where it's where God creates Adam and Eve, and he was made in their image. And then I pull back here and I go, the firstborn of all, all, over all creation. The firstborn of all creation. And this is a, it's a spot where people go, whoa, 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 whoa. Was Christ created? I thought God, because an essential doctrine or theology or belief of the Christian faith is that Christ is God he is he is eternal, so he has no beginning and he has no end because he is God. And this can be confusing for someone who has been taught that and they go, wait a minute, he's first born. Meaning that, wait, was Christ born? They ask themselves, was Christ born? And the, 
I just like to bring clarification here in that this uh, concerns like this idea does not concern the fact that he was the first creature to come into existence, but rather his ownership of like the cosmos of the heavens and the earth. It is a term of rank and authority denoting Jesus's right to rule creation. So it's not a matter of he was born. It's a it's a term in the first century because the firstborn had the you could say had the inheritance, and so it's more dealing with his authority, his rule, as opposed to him being created. And so you can even read that in Hebrews one. There's multiple times in the New Testament where it refers to Christ as being the firstborn, and Hebrews one six says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, meaning God, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And so God didn't bring, like he didn't create Christ. It's more of he's the firstborn of a new, bringing back to that new creation, he's the firstborn of a new creation, which would be the church Christians. So he's a type of humanity that we will all be like when Christ returns, in a sense, if that makes sense. He's the firstborn. He's the first fruits. He's a picture of this new creation. And so let's kind of move on here. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It says, uh, verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So what part of that, kind of like the context or the cultural context, do you see in verse 16? Well, I think it definitely challenges the idea of the Roman throne being the end-all, be-all, when Paul is saying, no, I'll thrones and rulers, those still come under the authority of God. Um, that's what I see, almost like a threat to that, to hmm. that system of thinking, to that philosophy in that. Yeah, especially when you kind of get to the end of 16, where it says all things have been created through him and for him. It's mm-hmm. definitely challenging the idea that the emperor is not like the end-all, be-all, because all things are created through him, but they're also created for for him, like for Jesus, because like you're going back to what you're saying, he's the firstborn. He's like, because I kind of think of it in the context of like when you watch like a lot of the sh- like Netflix shows that are set like in olden age, like the firstborn of the household, like he's the one who receives the inheritance, he yep. carries the name, he's the one who has ownership over the house once the father passes on, and not that God is passing on, but Jesus is definitely the one who's leading us um, in our faith. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting that we read over this so quickly and we don't consider how courageous writing a poem like this would have been. You know, I think of a, uh, you know, I think of like in China right now, China, you know, they have a communist leader who views Christian ideology as a threat to his rule. And so you have pastors right now who are being put in jail for holding Christian world, a Christian worldview, which says, no, you are not the leader of our lives. Christ is the leader of our lives. And as Americans, that's really hard for us because we live in a free society and we're kind of, we have freedom of religion and we're allowed to kind of do whatever we want to do when it comes to our belief system. But this 
setting would be much more like, in a sense, not in a, in a total sense, but in this sense, it'd be more like a, a being in China than it would be in America, where the emperor would have viewed this ideology as, as he's saying whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, basically pointing right to the Roman Empire, saying like, all things have been created through Christ and for him. Like, this is a courageous poem, right? We think of poetry as an emotional, you know, poetry was, in, in first century, was used as a, as a theological and image-rich tool to, in, to communicate truth in a way that would stick with people. And I just think how courageous it was to write this. And, and, and that's kind of the benefit that Paul has of writing from prison. He's kind of like, I got nothing to lose. You know, <laughs> he's like, I'm in prison already. You've already been beaten. Like, you ain't going to shut me up now. Like, Christ is supreme, and I will do whatever I can to advance the gospel, advance the message of Christ, and to uh, reach as many people as possible. So for uh, by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so here we are, it kind of sets, this poem kind of sets up here where we have the first part, which is really emphasizing Christ as the creator. We have him as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and now he's all things were created by him and through him, both in the heavens and the earth. Everything's been created. So he's, we're, we're, setting, we're setting Christ up as the creator. He is eternal. He was there present in Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. Christ is there creating the universe, right? Creating everything that's been set up. He is the one who's there. He is the creator. So it's setting this, 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 uh, this truth up that Christ was there and this is who he is. And we'll set, we'll set it up for the back end of this poem to where Christ is the creator of the heavens and the earth, but now he's also the creator. He's, he's bringing about new creation with his resurrection, which we'll see in a little bit. And so let's jump to verse 17. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so as we think about this concept, once again, it's a poem, so he's, he's, Paul's definitely setting this up as, it's meant to be image-rich, right? It's, it's meant to be poetic. It's meant to be, it's meant to make you think and, and pause and be, and, and what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, that's what it's meant. And as we, as we consider this, this is the supremacy of Christ, right? This is the idea, and this is the thing that makes us wonder. Paul's making this, he's, he's writing this to help us and in, 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 in spur us to have a wonder of Christ. That although he was here in the flesh, all things are held together by him. Do you guys have any just comments on that? Like Christ being the one who holds all things together? Well, it's definitely not anything that I learned in my church growing up at all. I was taught that, you know, God created the universe. God, the Father, had created the universe. And then Jesus, like, came in in the Gospels and did his thing. But the whole concept of Jesus being present, being the creator, being the designer, was something totally foreign to me. 
So coming in and listening to other preachers, you know, use use their 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 partnership and them together and really, you know, highlighting Jesus supremacy was something that was that took a long time to like dive into like Paul's writings and different things and be like, wow, there's so hmm. much here. So that was this is this is all this was all foreign territory to me. So it's extremely beautiful now, like being able to understand it and go through it and understand it more. Yeah. And so this is kind of the end. So he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And so I I understand, like, I hear what you're saying that we, we sometimes get taught about Christ in a way that actually isn't truly biblical. We, we get taught from men who are imperfect. And instead of diving into the scriptures and finding out who Christ is, we, we accept the narrative that we're, we've been sold and we accept the teachings that come from good men and good women who, who are doing their best, but are insufficient in their description and presentation of Christ because of their human limitations. And so that's why it's extremely important that we get our theology and that we get our understanding of God through the scripture itself for ourselves as we dive into Colossians 1. And so as we move into the second part, 18 through 20, what I'll note here is that the reason that we're setting up Christ as the creator, firstborn of all creation, he holds all things together, is we're setting Christ up as the supreme leader. He is, it's the supremacy of Christ. Not so that we can he can just sit up there in heaven and be the supreme leader. It's so that we will come underneath him and realize that he is so much bigger. So he is pure love, pure sacrifice. Christ is all and in all. And we we are privileged to be underneath him. It's 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 setting us up for living a new life, not just having a theology that knows all these things. It's setting him up as a as an adequate ruler and leader of our lives. And so here we go, verse 18. He is also the head of the body the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I love that terminology. And so as we think about the church, I want to have a quick conversation with you guys. So the church, what does that even mean? The church. When you when you read that in the in the in the Bible, like what's your first or reaction? But the one it's like what you really know of the church, and kind of how do you think culture has polluted the idea of the church? When I think about it, is from my knowledge when I read the church, I think the people who are in relationship with Christ, the people who are followers of Him and who are pursuing His will. But I think. You know, today's version of church, what people, what culture views church as is like the people who check the, check the, check going to church on Sunday as a box off of their Christianity list. It's different. It's, it's not like, it's not relational at all. It's more of the, the consumer mentality. Like you go, I hope I got my word for the week. I'm good until next week. That's what, unfortunately, a lot of people might think when they read, oh, Christ is coming back for all the people who go to church on Sunday. But (laughs) (laughs) no, it's it's he's coming back for the people who are in relationship with him. Yeah, definitely expanding, expanding off of that. Agree with everything Alec just said of like the church is, you know, the body of believers like past, present and future. It's not a local congregation or denomination. Totally. 
it's not just it's not the building and sometimes i guess for me maybe other people are smarter than me or i have i don't know but just when i read it like i think we 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 use christian language so much and so when we actually read it we don't understand and we're not fully being impacted by the scripture and the truth behind it so it says in verse 18 it says he is also the head of the body and so we like when i think of that i'm like oh he's like the leader of the church right and it's like well yeah that's the truth but the the description and the image that he's using here is that he is the head meaning like a like think of like a body like he's the head like what's in the head the mind and what controls the body like the, the mind the head <laughs> like the head no head like you're done right yeah. you don't have a head you can lose an arm you can lose a toe you can lose other parts of your body but you cannot lose your head right you lose your head you're done so he's the head of the body so we are the body christians and people who are followers of christ are a part of the body and we have to be connected to the head of which is christ in order to be a part of the church and he's the head he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything and here we are he's this idea of a church is a new thing right in in that time like no, there was no such thing as a church before right christ has resurrected there were synagogues there were temples there were these religious buildings but the, the idea of a church was new and so this is we read this and we're like oh yeah church but people were reading that like whoa he is the head of the body of the church like this church is a new thing this new moving living entity that Christ is creating, that, that extends beyond culture, which extends beyond ethnic groups, which extends beyond uh, gender and, and, and class, because and, it involves slaves, it involves women, it involves men, it, invo- it involves Samaritans, it involves Romans, it involves Jews, it involves everyone. So he's creating this new living being, which is called the church, which Christ is the head of, which Christ is the inaugurator of, which Christ is the the fuel and which is the leader of this new living being that has touched Colossae, which has touched Ephesus, which has touched Philippi, which has touched touched almost every, because it's remember it said in Colossians 1 before, it said it's gone across the entire world, meaning the entire Roman Empire. So this new body, which is connected by Christ, is everywhere. And this is what's called the new creation. And so Christ created right? The beginning, the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, he set it up. He was there in the beginning, but now Christ has come in the flesh and he has come to set up a new creation, which is through his body, the church. And so Paul, this, this poem is just so much more rich than we give it credit for, right? Because we're reading it from an American 21st century view but when you put ourselves in the context, we put ourselves in the Roman the Roman context, the Gnostic context, the, the first century Jew context, we can see that Paul is inaugurating this type of thinking and believing and living that is so fresh and new, and it still applies to us today. Because Christ is still instituting new creation in us. He's still bringing about change and redemption and forgiveness and freedom and life and peace today in our in this world. And he is still the head of the body, and he unites us all through his spirit. But um, I want to continue on here into verse 19. And this is just, this end part is just the gospel. And as you guys read this, just chime in and, and share what, what, what you see 
uh, in these last two verses of this poem. So verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure. So here we see the Father. We haven't seen the Father yet. So Christ is, is all about Christ, and now Paul brings in the Father. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So here we have the end of the poem. And here we have, like I said, we bring in the Father. as the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ. Do you see the, some of the context that he's continuing to attack right there? Some of the cultural false teachings? Do you see that he's continuing to attack? Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying, saying the fullness of the Father, not a part of the Father, not an angel helper of the Father, but know the fullness of the Father, all his deity, all the attributes, that he would dwell permanently in his Son. Mm-hmm. In uh, 20, it says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And it just makes me think about kind of the, the cultural the cultural aspect where you were talking about where they would focus on like food regiments and religious acts where it says he has made peace through his blood, hmm. through the blood of his cross. And you think about it like people were still holding to these religious laws and act and not that those are all necessarily bad, but you can't focus on those because those are not life-giving. Mm-hmm. They're not the focus anymore because Jesus came, he paid the price, he made peace through the blood. Meaning like peace, you can't get peace through through sacrifice, through food laws, through right. following tradition, mm-hmm. you only get peace through the blood of Christ. Exactly. So he's once again setting up Christ as the supreme figure and ruler. And one thing I'll note here, something that we miss, that sometimes we can miss in Christianity, is we consider Christianity all about people, which, right, God loves people, right, obviously. But God also created the heavens and the earth, meaning the earth and the atmosphere created the earth. And to say that it's all about people, obviously people are a huge figure. Christ came to die for people. But Christ came to redeem. So let's read this, right? Verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. So reconcile is a bringing back. It's a buying back. It's a returning to an original design, right? So he's reconciling it. He's bringing it back. And so he's reconciling. So all the fullness of God was in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Meaning you go back to Genesis 1 and you look at the Garden of Eden and you look at the perfect order that God had set up, men and women, right? Adam and Eve in in perfect harmony with God, no barriers. So, and then you have even the, 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 the Garden of Eden with, with the earth and how beautiful and perfect it was. And God told Adam and Eve to make, go and take dominion. And here we are, reconciling all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, the part of Christianity that's, I think, often missed, in, I would say it's just underemphasized, right, is the fact that Christ came to reconcile and make all things new. He came to make humans new, 
men and women to change us from the inside out, to, to take us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to, to give us a new identity, to give us a new purpose, but to also reconcile the world and almost bring back the world that's around us, to take care and bring order and bring peace, not to people, but also to the physical locations that we're located in. So often we, we, we think that the God doesn't care about the earth and he doesn't care about right order and he doesn't care about having things that are beautiful and, and that are that are image rich and that are that are working in harmony with one another, sustainable. And I not I'm not gonna do a green push in a sense right here, like save the trees, but in a sense that is a huge part of God's God's redemptive plan, because God's gonna come back at the end, right? When Christ returns, he's gonna create a new heavens and a new earth, right? And he's going to redeem the earth to what it was originally designed for in the Garden of Eden. He's not going to burn it up and say, you know, to hell with the earth. He's going to make it new in the same in the same way how he's making us new. Like, for example, like when he says in, in to kind of go back, he says he's the firstborn from the dead in verse 18. It says he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So kind of a mixed misconception in Christian uh, thinking is that when you die and go to heaven and Christ returns, we're going to be like spirits in that we're not going to have bodies. But what the Bible teaches is that we will rise again and that we'll have resurrected bodies the same way that Christ was resurrected. And when he was interacting with the disciples after he'd resurrected, he was walking through walls. But at the same time, he goes to, he goes to, uh, to Timothy. Who did he go to? Not Timothy, Thomas. I'm sorry. Yes, I knew it was a T. Yeah, it was a T. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. One of the T. And so he went to Thomas and he goes, touch my, touch my flesh. He goes, touch the holes. Meaning that he actually had a physical body and that Christ, God had resurrected the physical body. And in the same way, he's the firstborn from the dead. Meaning that he is a type of creation that God is going to resurrect when Christ returns. And so when we reign with Christ, when we are resurrected at the culmination of all things in God's eternal sovereign plan, we're not going to be angels and spirits. We're actually going to have physical bodies that we will be living with for all of eternity, which is an amazing, that's that's like the ultimate hope because it's not God just saying to hell with their bodies, like I just want their spirits. No, God's saying I made you and I want to keep all of you, right? And I not I don't want to keep all the bad things. I'm gonna I'm gonna renew and reconcile all the negative things, and I'm gonna put my power on your body, resurrect you, so that you can be be the person I've created you to be for the rest of eternity. And that's what I kind of what I see here is that God reconciling Himself all things and making peace through His blood. I think I do think when I resurrect, I'll have a better beard. You know, I've always wanted <laughs> maybe a six pack. Or an eight pack? I don't need that, <laughs> but I will have a beard. What about you? I'll take a long, flowy beard, like a six foot beard. Six foot beard? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't Maybe know. Maybe he'll that. resurrect my beard, and then I can just like ride it. Okay, we're getting off track here. <laughs> I do not want a beard. Just, just, just so everyone's aware of that. And so here we are, the finish uh, of this passage in verse twenty, where it says, uh, "Through him I say, whether things or sorry." Uh, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And as we conclude this this episode of, of the Bible in context in Colossians 1, 
what we'll say is this whole thing is about the supremacy of Christ and then the new creation that Christ is instituting in our lives. And our hope, my prayer, is that as you as you realize and as the Lord speaks to you through these passages, is that we will become more excited and passionate about coming underneath the lordship and leadership of Christ and that he is ultimately the best leader. He is ultimately the most pure and gracious and truth-filled uh, leader that we could ever come underneath. And as we conclude here, I just want to pray for us as we, uh, as we close. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Colossians 1 and giving that to us. I pray that you speak to us through it even more, that we would become a group of people. We would become the church who are a part of your body and that would be totally connected to the head, which is Christ. And that we would be, uh, we would be light and that we would be a group of people, a type of person that would glorify you with our actions, with our thoughts, with our motives, with our deeds, and that we would move beyond just thinking of our Christianity as a, as a church thing, but as a life thing that brings glory to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thanks guys for joining us for Colossians 1. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.